Podcast, a podcast about Phoenix Rising Football Club. I am Cal Nolson, joined by Jake Anderson. It is not our last episode of the season. It looked like it could be at times. What a scary win for Phoenix Rising and exactly what Jake brought this up like three months ago. It's the nature of this playoff system. You can just go. You don't have to lose to get eliminated, essentially. And that is what happened here. Uh, not the the opposite, in fact, but that's what happened for Bolt. They didn't, they didn't technically lose. Uh, they lose on penalties. Nil nil, uh, and then I we went eight seven. Was that was that the final? Correct. In pens. Eight, oh my seven, gosh. Nine nine shot takers apiece. So Austin came in with a game plan. We mentioned on the preview last week, looking at the stats for them, they foul a lot. They fouled even more in this game. Twenty six fouls they conceded. They had yellow yellow cards. They had four of them, but they were when they were not fouling they had a defensive game plan and they played it they had 22 tackles and their tackle success rate was 73 percent. so when they were going in they were getting the ball most of the time they had 35 clearances in this game uh and phoenix rising did outshoot them i believe it was 19 to 18 so just slightly we knew bolt's weakness though was not getting shots it was getting shots on target and scoring uh rising got outshot and shots on target austin had five the rising only had three one of those was a post. Uh, statistically, it doesn't go down mm-hmm. as on target, but Adam John did hit post early on in the match. But as you just said, Austin Bolt's game plan was sit back, basically try to go to Penns. I think they executed exactly what they wanted to do. Um, but yeah, like I was saying months ago, if Rising could theoretically win this whole thing by doing exactly what they just did, nil-nil, winning Penns. Now, obviously, no one wants to do that, but if you look at what... Austin Bull did. They started with three at the back, but three in the back is really five at the back because your wingbacks are going to be coming back and forth. And at times they had, you know, six, seven guys that were exactly in a line, you know, in the box with at least eight guys behind the ball at all times. Um, I thought that was another reason why uh, Jose Aguinaga was playing um, a lot farther up the pitch than at least I'm used to seeing him, and it almost looked like a kind of like a four-two-four hybrid-ish. Um, Jose would always come back a little more, but uh, John Baccaro sat very deep to try to get the ball, just because it wasn't one of those park the bus, we'll let you have it, and we'll try to catch you on the counter. I mean, Austin was playing hard nosed D. We alluded to how much they foul and. Literally, as soon as any rising player had the ball, if their back was to goal, Austin would be right on them. And then if they tried to turn, you're getting fouled, you're getting nipped at the heels. It's going to be a physical game. And just a a mental aspect of that, of just getting guys frustrated and cards were flying. Luckily, no one gets sent off, but you had a total of six cards in this game, which six cards is a lot of cards. I mean, we had... The stoppage time at the end of, I believe it was the eight? second half, was it was, it was, it was a, an absurd yeah. amount of time. Yeah. Um, I'll bring up real quick Mustafa Dembouya's injury doesn't help with that. Uh, Rick Johns said yesterday at training that he has a uh, mild strain in his hamstring, um, and uh, the football term he's listed as questionable. So we'll see what happens for tomorrow. Um, if not, I would assume Ledbetter would be next up. 
It's a good call. And and Ledbetter did pretty well when when he played during the season. So that's made team of the week once. Yep, that was an encouraging little run for him. The story of the game, of course, in a game like this, will always be the penalties. Now. We've talked about penalties a lot the past couple of weeks because Solomon Asante has missed his last three, is it? Or is it four? He's missed his last three. He's missed four on okay. the year. Missed his last three. Question was, if they have penalties in in the regular allotted time, will he still be the selected penalty taker? It seemed like that was going to be the case. We did not get to see that specifically. But what we did get to see is this game go to penalties. He comes off in the 108th minute, so not like at the 117th or 18th or anything like that. You asked about it, and Shantz said that uh, there were worries about Asante crap, uh, cramping up, and then there was Adam John coming off as well. He was he was gassed uh, from what he told Coach. So how, how much do you buy it? Because <laughs> the solo thing is fascinating. So I misspoke. It was 113th, 113th for, solo, for solo, but still yeah. uh, within five minutes. But uh, So Adam John told Rick Shantz after the 90 minutes – that he didn't know how much longer he could go. And he got taken out two minutes before the end of extra time. And Solo told Shantz that he was feeling a little bit tight and that he did not have to be on the field to take pens. Um, Only speculation would be as to why. We really won't find that out um, if there was any reason other than the injury or being tight not being fully fit for penalties, but because of the storyline, because of the narrative, that's just something we kind of have to bring up, kind of have to talk about. But when we heard over the radio to have the PA announcer announce it, we heard, you know, 14 in, 20 out. And it was kind of a double take, like, wait, did he just say 20 out? You know, and five minutes later, we're basically assuming a penalty shootout's about to take place, and you see that Ben Spencer is coming on for Adam John, and it's okay. So you just took out your last two leading goal scorers. One's the Golden Boot and should be the unanimous MVP, and you just took both of them out ten minutes before penalties in a playoff match. So, but that just shows the the resiliency of the team to be able to go in and pull that one out. It shows the trust that Shantz has in his guys, and the thing that I think is so impressive about the penalty shootout is. I'm not sure the exact percentage. I think it's like 56 or 58% of penalty takers who shoot first. The team wins that percentage of the time. So rising shot second. I would be willing to guess that Austin won the toss, said we want to shoot first, and then Rising said we want to do this in front of our supporters end because when they played New Mexico, it was the opposite. Rising shot first, and it was at the other end. But the point I wanted to get to was because they shot second – they had four consecutive shots, which were five, six, seven, and eight, in which if they did not make it, yeah, that were. was it. Yeah. So it, it was so impressive from that regard. And then uh, AJ Cochran gets the make up for his his miss that lost it against New Mexico. Um, I actually had asked them that uh, the week before, and right after the match, he was one of the guys we talked to, and he he came up to me with a big smile and kind of like you know, yeah, like I, I did it kind of thing. So. It was really good to see that, and it was just it's a crazy atmosphere, and can't wait for Friday. Before we get to discussing that match, specifically looking at Real Monarchs and so on, who they will face, what was your thought of how the team played in this game in their first playoff match going forward into 
the next one. How do you feel about them after a rocky last couple of games to start the season? Because this was not a convincing 3-0, 4-0, 5-0, 5-1, whatever type of win. This was a nail-biter. I think Austin played really, really well. That might be the best individual team performance they come up against just because of how well they executed defensively. Might be wrong on that, and they might get beat, but I mean, certainly from what Austin is capable of, they played very, very well with what they were doing. What do you think of how Phoenix played overall and how you feel about them confidence-wise going into the next match against a team, which we're going to get into is no joke. This is one of the strongest teams they've played all year. They just lost to them in season and statistically they're right there with rising which i didn't think was possible yeah monarchs are the only team that they've lost to at home in the last year so that just shows how hard it is to a beat rising in phoenix and and b how good of a team monarchs is but to talk about the performance from saturday it wasn't the best obviously but at the same time we've seen time and time again this year and in in any league really when you have one team that's just defending and praying for a draw basically it's not the prettiest game it honestly the game was boring I don't know how much um, everyone was paying attention to it obviously I was there but there was kind of a a lot to uh to be desired because it was pretty lackluster but it's hard to break down teams like that that are just defending for dear life and Usually we see if the team that is attacking, attacking, attacking eventually does get that goal, then that defensive team has to start pushing up. They get opened up, and that's kind of when the floodgates start. With Monarchs, I think what will happen is because that team knows they have talent and quality and ability to beat this team, because they just did, I foresee them going not like a Reno or a Fresno that go right at them, but a little more of an attacking style. And if you look at the last time they played, let's see, you had 24 shots to 11 for Phoenix. I mean, they outshot them. 2-1. to one. Yeah, they, yeah, it's a 2-1 loss for Rising, um, but we saw that Rising controlled that game. They did. They just didn't finish. Did not get outplayed. So... It's it's going to be interesting because you see the score from both these matches and they're kind of the opposite in terms of how they performed to what the result is. So another thing that I want to ask Rashantz about tomorrow is the fact that LAFC lost to uh, Seattle Sounders last night in the playoffs, Western Conference Final, at home. And these two teams, despite the fact that they have you know six guys that were on loan, you know, Tristan Blackman starts in this game and he also started for Phoenix Rising earlier this season. So you have that connection, but also both the squads set records for points, set records for goals, have a unanimous MVP, in my opinion. But like we've been talking about this whole time, when you have a playoff system that is one game, one match, not a two-leg aggregate, that's what happens. You you come out a little flat. You might get a little unlucky. That first goal LAFC allowed was unlucky, but hey, it happens, and they weren't really able to recover or come back from it. So I, I would be willing to guess that um, if Rick's able to talk to, to Bob Bradley and, and talk to the LAFC guys, he'll definitely pass that along to his team. Monarchs on the season. They have averaged 2.2 goals a game. That is second in the league to, you know who, shots per game, 14.6 Again, second, but the thing is, 
We look at these teams a lot, and then conversion rate is where they fall off. They're at 19%. That's tied for third in the league. They are second in the league in passing accuracy at 83%. The big difference there is that Monarchs on the season has 45 assists in 35 games. Rising has 60 in 35 games. So you're talking about 12 more goals for Phoenix Rising, which isn't a ton, but they're, the difference in assists is 25%. That's pretty substantial, or 33, I should say. Um Looking at goals allowed, they are mid-table, and that's kind of where you look at rising and say they have the advantage in, in the defense. 1.6 goals allowed for Monarchs. They are 17th in the league. Another team that really likes to foul. Uh, 2.35, or no, sorry, really likes to give out uh, yellow cards. They are third in the league, 2.3 yellow cards a game. But fouls-wise, they actually don't foul a lot. 11.9, that is 25th, pretty low on the totem pole. What I did see that was the main difference between this team and the assists is that in terms of winning fouls, meaning going into defense and pressuring them and drawing fouls and forcing the defense to reset, nearly 100 or over 100 more fouls for rising one. 486, Monarchs only have 374 one. So Monarchs isn't really a team that gets you on your toes like Rising does. They're just a little more systematic, uh, at least statistically. I think that you look at just the way they play, especially in the last um, the last matchup between these two teams. I don't think they were outplayed necessarily, but the way that they won was what I was just talking about, which was that they were not necessarily out shooting them or outplaying them, but they got their chances, they converted, uh, and things like that. They are coming off of a 6-2 win, uh, which is notable. That was the second most goal scored by a team in that round. I believe the second most scored by a team in the playoffs so far. Um this is a real test, and I think that Rising's offense in particular is something that I'm going to be looking at to step up because, quite frankly, we just have not seen the offense reach the forms that it was in during the 20-game win streak, and, and I think more specifically just when you gave them a chance when Solomon Asante and Junior Flemings and Adam John they would burn you just about every time. In their last couple of matches, they don't score against Austin. They had three against OKC, one against Monarchs. They got five against Timbers, two, one goal, and then they got four against Galaxy, two, but then it was one nil, one nil. So they haven't been just on the gas pedal. And I, and I say that because this is specifically a team where they need this. They need a, a good offensive performance because the, Monarchs is going to score in this game. I feel confident in saying that Monarchs is going to score in this game. I think that Rising are going to need a goal. They might need two or three to win this game, I think, especially with the way their defense has been performing um, in the past month and a half, which also hasn't been that great. Yeah, and the last time these two played, you had a double sending off. Yeah. So, And when they played OC, uh, and then they're quarterfinal western conference quarterfinal matchup there was a red card for oc in the 49th minute and that's kind of when the floodgates opened because it was a 2-1 game up until that point and then after you know all hell broke loose but i definitely agree with you in the sense of how they've been playing um in terms of they didn't get outplayed against monarchs but the result is not what what they wanted they've been kind of beaten up on the, the bad teams i mean los dos and you know Timbers too aren't the greatest of squads, but as you alluded to, it's the only concern I have. I, I will say is defensively, if you have pace and send a long ball, 
this rising center, center back duo, for as good as they've been, and they've been fantastic. Corey Whelan and AJ Cochran have been great, but they don't have the pace. And and when you have, I'm just going to say Dumboya because we don't know if he's going to play or not. With how much Amadou Dia and, and Mustafa Dumboya get up the field, when you only have those two center backs defending, now usually you'll have that, that holding mid drop to be that number three guy. Kavon Lambert, in this case, uh, we saw a lot of James Musa do it. But still, not the fastest of guys. And, and we saw Austin with uh, Lima. He's a he's a big guy, and I'm blanking on his name, but he's number 45. Um, but he was just creating problems all game with how fast he was. And we've been talking about how we want to attack Rising if we were the opposition. Honestly, if you're not able to you know, be like an El Paso and pass through everybody type of team. If you're a Reno and you're a Fresno, we're both out, by the way, you just attack them, take it to them, use your forwards because individual battles in terms of pace, I haven't really seen Phoenix win those battles this year. Brown on OKC in the last regular season game, he got in behind a lot. Uh, So that's something in particular that comes to mind when you bring that up. Uh, any closing thoughts? Uh, I don't really have a game prediction. I just think that if there was a matchup in terms of current form, the way the team plays, I think that this is on the in the Western Conference. Well, I just don't know the Eastern Conference at all. Um, in the Western Conference, I think this is the game that tests them the most and the one that they could be the most susceptible to. Because again, I just think Monarchs are going to score in this game. I just think with the way that they've been rolling and with the way Rising has been been playing defensively and not really converting on chances and not creating as many chances as a team that does it just as well as them. You just look at the side-by-side comparisons statistically. There's the drop-off, of course, for Rising, but Monarch's a little more consistent uh, throughout the year. Not the better team. Rising should win this game. They should win every game they have the rest of the way. They are the best team in this league. But this is the one that I am probably the most concerned about with where they're at. I won't predict a loss, but I'm, I'm I'm almost there just with the way the Austin game went, especially, again, credits to the way they played. But they are, it feels like they are uh, not even close to invincible as they should feel, if that makes sense, Jake. Yeah, they're not destroying teams 6-0 like they were during the summer when they were absolutely on fire during that 20-game win streak. But the fact that they did lose to them, Last time that they were here, I think we'll definitely have a little extra motivation. Just like I think a lot of them wanted to play New Mexico, just to have that get you back kind of thing. So I think that'll be a really big motivating factor. Another, but this is looking ahead, should they win this match, you would hope the fact that they're in a Western Conference Final would be enough. But it's one of those, like, you would definitely get more pumped to play a Fresno, who... You lost to in that infamous game when when Solo missed two pens in the last five, ten minutes. But obviously you can't be worrying about that. You gotta win on Friday first. You got Dollar Beer Night. That's another streak that, you know, has the you know, the history in their favor. So we'll see. I think that Monarchs might take a page out of Austin's playbook and that if you watched just how they were playing defense instead of watching the ball. If you watch how they play defense, every single man in the final, <laughs> this is always complicated to say, the final third of the attacking third or of the uh, the half, I should say, 
right around the box area, everyone was man-marked. Nobody had a space to do anything or have the ball for more than a second. So with how much they foul in the cards, you know, and referees, I, I hate the referee excuse, but it is a part of the game. Um, and, and you just, you hope that it doesn't have a big deciding factor on the game. And as the saying goes, the best game a ref can have is when he's not talked about. So, you know, we'll see what happens. If they can play half as well as they played last time against them, it's just the big thing is they have to finish their chances. So, hopefully they can do that. I would like to see this see this playoff run continue to go. Um, you know, it's the end of the season. There's only eight teams left. And obviously they want to be the ones to, to lift a Western Conference trophy and to lift the USL Cup and, and win a treble, or the USL's version of the treble. Let's see. We'll be back next week. See you then. Hopefully. Peace.